0: Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at HopeHogansville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many as are perfect have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom, I have, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. So two things I wanted to point out today. We have an example that has been set and we have a walk that has been commanded. The first thing we see in Chapter 3, verse 17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example. Uh, and again, it's pretty obvious he's speaking to his brothers, his brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, those that he considers to be Christian family, because of the faith that they share in Jesus. So he's specifically preaching to the church. And he says, Join in following my example. And that phrase, join in following my example, is really kind of lumped up in uh, one or two really big Greek words, which basically means to become like or to live according to the example that has been set. Um, It's a reference to conduct. It's a reference to our way of life. And he is pleading with his brothers and sisters in Christ saying, come along with me like me in the example that I've set. Conduct like mine is what he is kind of saying. So uh, in essence, he is saying, follow us as we follow Christ. Now, in this passage, he's not just speaking of himself, he's also speaking of others. And I believe he's, he could refer to all the apostles. He could be referring specifically to the apostles, which wouldn't be unbiblical. We are to hear all of the apostles' teachings, to be devoted to the apostles' teachings, to see the the example that they set in their faith, and we are to follow that. But I believe he's also uh, very probably speaking about Timothy and Epaphroditus and some of these people that he's already mentioned, people that are living according to the faith that Paul is preaching about. And he would be also speaking about any other brothers and sisters in Christ who are actively walking in this same fashion. He's basically saying, I am following Jesus. And there are others who are following Jesus in this same way. Join me in following Jesus this way. So he's in essence saying, follow us as we follow Christ. So there was a First uh, Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. So he's not just simply saying watch me do what i do because i'm the best example you know i'm doing everything right so i want you guys to follow me and that'll probably get you on the right path instead he's saying what i want to do is introduce you to jesus i am following christ imitate me as i imitate christ ultimately what he is saying is i want you to be imitators of christ Another example is First Thessalonians, and I wanted to read this one to you. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. Paul tells the Thessalonian church, he says this, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. So there he's talking about. The kind of person that he proved to be among you, he's saying, "Listen, I I'm preaching one thing, and I've proven to be um, to be consistent with what I'm preaching." So basically, saying I am proven, I am proving that this way of life is true, and I'm living it, and I'm following it faithfully. And then he tells them in verse six in Thessalonians, he says, "You also become imitators of us and of the Lord." having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, follow my example as I follow Christ. Join me in following this example. You also become imitators of us and the Lord. But notice what happens in Thessalonians in verse 7. He says, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. So what happened with the Thessalonian church, Paul was preaching to them saying, I want you to be imitators of me and of the Lord as I am an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ and by your faithfulness and your following of the Lord Jesus Christ and imitating Christ, you have also become examples. So here, Paul's touching on a, uh, a quality about Christianity that I think is really important in the church. One, it is that our faith, um, our faith is designed to be a testimony of the Lord's continued work in the world that we live in today. Uh, many people have asked me regarding, and I've considered it myself. You know, it's been it's been a couple thousand years since Christ walked on the earth. You know, um, you know, before that they had the prophets, and and then they had um, they had teachers that the Lord rose up to to pass down the word of God. There were appearances of of God in the form of the angel of the Lord, and then Jesus appeared, he was born of a virgin and he made his physical appearance in in the form of a man, but it's been 2000 years, some would say, where is God? Well, he has given us the Holy Spirit who dwells within us and continues through the church to make himself known. But he makes himself known through the body of Christ, through the church and the faith of Christians who are living the life that God has called us to live. And God continues to reveal himself to the world, the darkened world around us through the lives that we live. And so Paul is touching on that when he says in chapter three, brethren, join in following my example." And so he is not saying, I I believe that I'm living the best way and I want you to do what I do as much as he's saying the ultimate goal is to be Christ followers, not followers of Paul. And same would be the case for us in our churches. The ultimate goal would not be to make people like us or to bring people in and, and have everybody act exactly as we do. But the goal would be to look at people and say, this is what Christ has done in my life. And because of what he's done in my life, these are the fruits that are being produced in my life. And this is the life that the Lord has compelled me to live for his glory. And by that example, I'm inviting you to come along with me and follow Christ. And so there is a a form at which the Lord uses your life and my life to be a continual witness and a preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. So the second thing we see is, brethren, observe those who walk according to the pattern. Now, First of all, to observe means to pay close attention, and a pattern is something that we model. It's something to be imitated. It's something that you can look at and you can observe and then you can actually follow. So he's telling the believers to pay close attention to the way that we live our lives and the way that we conduct our faith, and I want you to observe that, and then he calls them to join in following that example, but he specifically describes it as a walk. He describes it as a walk. There in verse 18, he says, for many, or in 17, he says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, the concept of a walk is is all the way through the Bible. I'm going to read a few examples of that. This past week in our men's Bible study, we talked about, um, we kind of started our study in the book of Proverbs, and we talked a little about Solomon. And uh, I'm just going to read one of those verses because it highlights this that Paul's talking about this morning. He talk, he's talking about the walk, the way that we are to live our lives. Uh, this is an example of uh, Solomon who was being told by his dad, David, to walk according to the ways of God. And this is what he says in 1 Kings chapter 2. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth, which means he's going to die. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, keep charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way, To walk before me. So now this is transitioning from David talking to uh, commanding his son Solomon to walk according to the ways of the Lord. Now he's telling David, The Lord told me to to walk according to the law of God and to instruct everyone uh, that comes after me to walk in the ways of the Lord God. And so this is what he says If your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth, with all their heart and with all their soul you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel this is the heart of god for god's people that god's people walk in his way so it's not super complicated message today pretty simple The concept is the Lord desires that we walk in His ways. Even though we have continued over and over and over again to look into the richness of what Christ has fully accomplished on our behalf in Jesus Christ, there is still a command and an instruction, and we see the heart and desire of God for all of us to continue walking in His ways. Now, let's take a look at what happens when God's people don't walk in His ways. Uh, Jeremiah is one example of this. Chapter 9, verse 12, he says this, Who is the wise man that may understand this, and who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken, that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined, laid waste like a desert, so that no one passes through? The Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice nor walked according to it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart and after the Baals, as their fathers taught them. Now, this is unfortunate, considering we see the pattern of David teaching his son to walk in the ways of the Lord. You have occurrences where God appears to a man of the Old Testament and commands them to walk in the ways of the Lord and to instruct their sons to do so and to not cease instructing their sons to do so. But somewhere along the line, or often along the line, as men grew and forgot the Lord or forgot the things that the Lord had done, as generations came and went, as kings came to thrones and became evil and were deposed, they, came, they grew into these patterns of disobedience and even continued to teach their sons to walk in disobedience. And so this is what they said, uh, and this is what Jeremiah said. Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them and have not obeyed my voice, nor walked in it, but have walked after the stubbornness of their heart and after the bales as their fathers taught them. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will feed them, this people, with wormwood and give them poisoned water to drink. I will scatter them among the nations whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send the sword after them until I have annihilated them. You know, there is time and again, uh, occasion in the Old Testament when the people of God rebelled against the Lord and forgot his ways and refused to honor the walk that the Lord had called them to live and in obedience to him and even began to teach their children to walk in disobedience that the Lord would allow destruction to come upon them as a form of uh, punishment and judgment. He always preserved a remnant and there was always a man on the throne And ultimately, Christ came to the throne of the nation of Israel, but the Lord's heart has not changed regarding his ways. The Lord's ways, what is righteous, will always be righteous. What is evil will always be evil. And here Paul is inviting his church to walk in the ways of God. We have come to know salvation in Jesus Christ, and we live by walking according to uh, the righteousness of God. Here's another scripture where you see the heart of God on display that I think is a really beautiful scripture. Psalm 119. We probably know much of this really well. But look at how Psalm 119 starts. And This re- kind of refers to the blessings that God desires to give to those who are walking according to his way. And the heart that we should have. The psalmist has this heart where he desires and longs to walk in the ways of God, and he's praying for the power of God to lead him in that way. This is what he says. How blessed are those whose way is blameless. That's, that's a walk. That's a way of life. Now, the word walk is not complicated. In Greek, it means walk. Okay, It's just it's the way we live. So when, when you look at Scripture, anything that refers to conduct or way of life or walk, It's speaking about the way we live our lives. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. that, That is a really special Phrase right there that the precepts of God have been ordained. He chose them to be for a reason and for a purpose. The precepts of God were given to us for the purpose that we would obey them and walk in them. And that has not changed. And then the heart of the psalmist, Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. Hear what he's saying. He he longs to be able to look at the law of God and not in response be ashamed of himself. I mean, how many times do we spend time when we open God's word and when we study it and we break open the law of God or the instructions of God and we hear the, uh, these these institutes and precepts and teachings, and we see the character and the holiness of God come forward, but it also reveals the wickedness and the sin of our hearts, and we feel ashamed because we know the sinfulness of our own hearts. The psalmist is longing for the day that he will one day be able to look at all of the law of God and not be ashamed of himself. He says, oh, that I... He says, to keep your statutes, then I shall not be ashamed. When I look upon all your commandments, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart. When I learn your righteous judgments, I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. What a beautiful example. Here's one more from the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians um, chapter 2. It speaks a little bit of the way we used to walk but the way that we now walk. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So now he's speaking about who we used to be, our former lives. We were dead in our sins. This was our way of life. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So, in essence, we were sons of disobedience who were formerly walking according to the ways of the world as children of the devil, is what Paul is talking about. And then he says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. So he's being very graphic about who we actually are in our sins. And that's very true about any people who are not right with God and walking by faith in Jesus Christ. Even if they are quote-unquote good people who have found a way by some religious standard to produce a form of morality. And we have studied the theology of Paul and we know that even in that um, there is none righteous, no not one. So this is the description of what a person's true nature is. This is how we are born. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. So there, this is who we used to be, but God, rich in mercy, while we were dead... Brought salvation to us, made us alive together with Christ by grace, not by works. These are are the parts we memorize because we love them so much. But what does it produce in verse 10? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So the Lord has redeemed us fully and completely, and we stand uncondemned before the throne of God, but we have been given a life to live on this earth, and it is the Lord's intention that he continue to transform us by the renewing of our minds. That sanctification process is taking place so that the life that we live on this earth will reflect the citizenship that we have in the kingdom of heaven, so that the walk that we walk on this earth will reflect the holiness and the righteousness of God. So that's a little bit of the theology of the walk of God throughout the Bible. But when you come to Philippians chapter 3, Paul contrasts that with some people who are not walking according to the way of God. Look what he says. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Now Paul talks about the many. There are many people. He's calling the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk a very specific way. But he's also pointing out that there are many people who don't walk this way. And some scholars believe that he's not just talking about the the obviously godless people that live in the world around us, but he is potentially talking about people that are within the the quote-unquote church and the fellowship that appear to be Christians but actually aren't. Either way, that is the condition of the hearts of many people. And he says several things about them. The first one he says is that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, so these particular people, the many who are, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's, he says, with some form of emotion, he says, of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping. He's grieving at the thought of even having to say this. But he's saying there are those who's, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And there are four things that he says about them whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. This is the description of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. First thing he says, their end is destruction. So we kind of know that they will be destroyed in eternal judgment. Second thing, their God is their appetite. They're following after their lust, which is exactly what Paul told the Ephesian church. And that's where our hearts used to be. Following after our own lustful desires, our appetites. And that that was their actual God. Their God was themselves, not the Lord God. And then he says their glory is their shame. They were glorying in the very things they should have been ashamed of. Now we see that very much in our culture. Things that the Lord has been very clear about regarding What is holy and what is unholy, what is righteous and what is unrighteous, what is good and what is evil. God has been pretty clear about a lot of things in his word. There are many people, sometimes even in the name of grace, that are glorying in their behavior that is shameful, that is evil. And Paul is warning the church that it is possible that there are many people around you that are actively living this way, and there are probably some people among you that are living this way. And I think maybe there's a little bit of a caution there, and I think before we start, you know, you guys, this church has been a blessing. I think everybody in our fellowship, at this point, I love spending time with all of you, and I don't get the sense that people in our fellowship are pointing fingers at each other in some form of a judgmental fashion. Look at them. They're pretty simple and wicked. When I read passages like this, I don't see everybody looking over there going, Mm-hmm, I hope you're watching and paying attention. I don't think that's happening, um, but I, which is good. And we should continue to see one another. As we, as we um, confessed after taking of the Lord's Supper today, we see no one according to the flesh any longer. But now we see one another by grace. But we should see this as a warning about the sin that can creep up in our own hearts. And what scares me sometimes is when I read something like that, that's a description of the godless. That's a description of those that are enemies of Christ. There should be nothing about that description that resembles my life. There should be nothing about that that I could even in, in my personal private prayer life have to confess. And, and if there is, I should confess it and seek to repent, it, repent of it. And so the plea here would be not for you to question whether or not you're a you're an enemy of Christ, but the plea um, from me to you as your pastor would be to see that these are descriptions of those who do not know Christ. And I think most of us in this room do know Christ. And my, my encouragement to you would be to search your heart and see if there be any resemblance of that left in your life. And if there is, seek the Lord's face quickly uh, over those things. But then he contrasts that and he says... Um, well, the last thing was that they set their minds on earthly things. They're just focused on what's physical and what's right here, right now. And there's, that's immediately contrasted by what he says about us. He comes back and says, but you, brethren, basically he says, but you, brethren, for our citizenship. He's talking to the Christians here. For our citizenship is in heaven. In a sense, he's saying this is not us our citizenship is in heaven. So now what is he doing? He's taking their minds from being on the, on the, on the now, on the earthly things, on the things that are, um, the, the lustful appetites of the flesh. And he's saying, set your mind and your heart on what is eternal. And he says, he says, our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior. Now, I'm not going to kind of re-preach all of these concepts. I feel like I've preached these about three times um, recently. Uh, This concept of looking forward to our future glorification. He's saying we look forward to salvation in Jesus Christ. Our hope is set in him. And look what he says about him. He says, who will, as Jesus will, transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, meaning that he is, he is going to transform our physical bodies into conformity with the body of the glory of Jesus Christ. So we look forward to a day when we will be fully transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. By the and notice that last phrase which I think is really powerful. He will do that by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul's basically saying If anybody has the power to transform your spiritual and physical life, Jesus has the power to do that. So we look forward to the day when he will, by his power, subject us to himself. He has the power to subject all things to himself. And we have confidence knowing that he has promised to subject us to himself. And he has the power to accomplish it and he will do it. And so we look forward to that now. I'm not going to read all the verses. You could go back and read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. And you can, if you read them all together, you really probably should just read all of Romans in one shot. But if you just go sit down and read chapter 6, 7, and 8, you kind of get this this struggle that Paul has with his flesh where he's saying, you know, I, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things that I want to do. My heart agrees with the Lord. And his righteous ways, but my flesh does not. My flesh wants the things of the world. And he's wrestling with this. And he asks this question, is there any hope? Is there any hope for this body of death that I'm living in? And he continues to talk. I mean, that's, that's how he's being really real with himself. He hates, he's despising the sin that he continues to struggle with as someone who wholeheartedly agrees with the righteousness of God. He hates it, and he's looking forward, wondering if there will ever be freedom from that, and he knows that there's coming a day when he'll die, and we've already discussed that in Philippians, and he'll be set free from all that and glorified in Christ Jesus, but, and he also knows that there's value for him to come, keep living this physical life, but is there any hope for this physical life? And in, at the end of chapter 8, he says, there is hope even for the body through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in him. He's looking forward to the Spirit of God, continuing to work out this transformation work in his behavior, in this physical body that he has. Even now, the Lord who has the power to subject all things to himself can take our behavior and change it. He can change it. Even though you know that as disciplined as you can be, you're going to continue to find yourself walking in sin at times. But there is hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, He will continue to work on you and change even your physical behavior, even the way that you live your life on this earth. I think that's a beautiful hope. So in contrast to those who walk as enemies of God, we set our eyes on our eternal hope in Christ. We walk paying close attention to the conduct that's been given for us to imitate. So we set our hope in Christ, we keep our eyes on what is eternal, not on what is physical and and uh, fuels our lustful desires in the flesh, and we focus, we pay close attention to the examples of all the Christians and godly men and women who have gone before us, especially, especially the apostles and the prophets and the word of God and the example of Jesus Christ, we We pay close attention to that, and we walk accordingly. We walk accordingly. Philippians 4, verse 9. Uh, Mr. Bill mentioned this last week. I am going to come to this in a few weeks. I have to read it today because it fits so well, and this is where I want to land. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. This is Paul talking. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, I um, uh, I, just by way of example, I think um, I'm inspired by the faith that I see in my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, When I see the choices and the decisions and the way that um, y'all have chosen to live your lives, uh, compel, it creates a wonder in my heart at the kind of walk that you have with Christ that would compel you to, to um, live the way that you've chosen to live. It's inspiring, and, and it causes joy for me to see that the faith that I have, I can share with others who seem to have the same source of joy and the same source of desire to glorify the Lord and I think that's a little of what we're seeing in Paul he's saying I'm walking with the Lord observe that and follow me so observe the example join in this walk and hope and glory in God let's pray together Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24-26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.